Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome to Wagon Wheel. I'm Jared Kimber, and uh, thank you to everyone who supports us on this podcast. We're having, I was going to say a good time, but a good busy time uh, in this World Cup, and the podcast um, certainly getting lots of listens. If you can subscribe on whatever app you use on podcasts or leave a review, all those things are helpful. And same if you're watching on YouTube, of course, uh, leave, a, um, leave a comment or subscribe or press the bell icon or all the different different things that you can do now. But thank you to everyone. We've it's been a full-on World Cup, um, uh, but certainly I think I've enjoyed it more than I've enjoyed the cricket, if that makes sense. I mean, I've enjoyed the cricket, but uh, making stuff has been very, very fun as well. Um, Wagon Wheel is a podcast where, of course, what we do is we have a look at uh, questions from fans and we answer them. And we start with fans from Patreon. But if you are on the YouTube, you can obviously put in a super chat or any comment, really. This show was made by HCL Tech, a company that believes in partnerships so much you can read their name on the Australian shirt. Philip says, Heard a lot of chats on radio about players trying to rough up the ball for reverse swing at this World Cup, often leading to extra runs from awkward bounces or time-wasting they suffer in the final overs. Has there actually been much reverse swing or just more misfields and time-wasting? So if you see a throw come in from a professional player and it doesn't reach the wicketkeeper on the full, chances are that's what they're trying to do. Occasionally, you just get bad throws. But um, yeah, more often than not, if the ball bounces before the wicketkeeper, you're trying to rough up the ball or soften the ball as well. Might not always be for reverse, although quite often it is for reverse. And so, I, do, uh, you know, that's a major part of it. Um, you get a little bit of reverse swing at times. There hasn't been much since the saliva thing on the ball. Um, since Australia in general, we haven't had as much reverse swing. Since the wobble ball, there's a few different reasons why. Uh, the two balls, of course, in one, in, in one day cricket, although... We sometimes get reverse in T20. So um, so I think it's a combination of a lot of different things that we haven't seen um, uh, much reverse. But yes, when the when the ball bounces on the square repeatedly, um, it's not that hard for an inter- especially on these grounds. These aren't Australian grounds or anything. It's not that hard on these grounds to uh, throw the ball in on the full. And yet, miraculously, so many teams struggle to do so. Bloody says, are you aware of any retired cricketers who play cricket just for fun uh, day out like the rest of us? Uh, I excluding paid professional club games or charity matches. Seems to be quite rare from the interviews I've watched. Um, there is a player who plays in Australia whose name I'm going to forget. Um, oh my God, I should know. Um, this is so annoying. Uh, he, uh, 
Julian Wiener, who um, played for Australia, probably a fringe player as much as anything, but um, uh, played a little bit for Australia in the, I want to say, late 70s, early 80s, who played for ages. Um, and that certainly happens. Um, oh, sorry, that certainly happened. Um, it's not that common. Um, I, I remember I, I've got some friends, obviously, who are retired cricketers, and we had a game. And I said, come on, come on, play a game for fun. And, he's, and he just said, and he was right when he said this, it's not fun for me. It's my job. And it's a bit like, like when someone tries to get me to write something funny for a friend or something. It's like, it doesn't work like that, right? Like, um, and, and I understand that. Uh, or, you know, someone tries to get you to host some random thing and, um, uh, you know, and uh, you're like, no, well, if, if you want me to do it properly, I have to prepare and I have to do all these things. You can't just give me a microphone and expect me to waffle on. Although, that, to be fair, this show is that. But <laughs> in, in front of a room of people and all those sorts of things. So, no, it's not that common. Um, I'm trying to think. There are some others. Um, I want to say, if, and this is a really random one, and I forgot his name. Is it Malcolm Nash, the guy who got hit for six sixes by Sobers? I've got a feeling he played on, um, and I don't know why I know that, but I feel like someone told me, maybe one of my American friends um, told me that. Um, but, yeah, it happens occasionally. You certainly see uh, players uh, go on. I, I played against, um, although I suppose a lot of them were paid, um, I, you know, we played against a lot of Sri Lankan players when I was growing up, but yeah, they would have been paid even if it was, you know, small amounts um, to go out on a Saturday. Um, it's it, a lot of it is about physical stuff too, as well, and you know how players kind of uh, their body develops and everything else. Um, but, you know, I had a friend who played international cricket, and he played some club games towards the end of his retirement, and. Like every time he played, he was bowling you know, three quarter pace. Um, and every time he played, if he got hit for runs, like oh, he just get told, "How are you a test player and everything?" And he's like, "Well, I wasn't bowling like this when I was a test player, was I? Like if I was bowling like I was bowling as a test player, none of you would hit the ball." Um, and and so I think there's some frustrations there. There, they've also you got to remember that people who play cricket for a living play an awful lot of cricket, and so yeah, they might like to occasionally hit the nets with their kids or grandkids or you know play a bit of backyard game but the idea of going out and playing all those games it you know i think it does great on them a little bit jake says when india plays south africa how do you think the toss will go heads or tails jake <laughs> is it as straightforward as india will chase south africa will bat or should south africa put india in i think i almost think that both teams um should be in a position where they are thinking about this tactically for the rest of the tournament and maybe even less so for this game um, I don't think they should be in a situation of um, making a decision based purely on the strategy of, of, of the next game. But I think they should be thinking about the entire tournament. So if they're desperate to win it, maybe they would think about the strategy of, you know, do we want to go with our strengths? Do we want to go with their weakness? Which direction do we want to go? Or uh, the opposite. But I, I think India will be a bit more flexible. From what we've seen with South Africa, I don't think they will be. I think they'll just try and bat first if they win the toss. Uh, which is, you know, kind of, I think, partly what got them in the trouble in the first place. But Rudra says, why doesn't the wobble ball last well into the innings at ODIs and T20s? Does the white ball seem just hold, not hold up as well? Yeah, essentially, Rudra. So there was no wobble ball really at all in one day or T20 cricket until Kookaburra re reinforced the seam. So that seam we already know is a lot weaker than a red ball seam. When they reinforced the seam, it started to jag around a little bit more. But yeah, every, just the whole ball just gets softer. And if you think about wobble, one ball, you, one thing you really need is a hard ball. That's why over the last couple of years, you've seen 
if you've been watching cricket for the last 10 years, what you would have seen for a long period of time would have been the umpires looking at the ball going, this needs to be replaced. And that's because they knew that the team had, had basically altered the ball to a, such a uh, point where they were like, no, but this is, this is unacceptable. We're, at the very least, we're going to have to check this through the ringers and we might even need to get it changed. Then from 2017 onwards, what you see is teams just keep going to the umpires going, this ball's no good, this ball's no good, this ball's no good. And what they're really saying is it's a bit soft. And white balls just go softer so much quicker than red balls. Satchmo says, is India's opening pair of pace balls the best any ODI team has ever had? Um, Brett Lee and Glenn McGrath would be um, right up there. Then you would have Wakar and Wazim um, to show up. I don't think he had anyone that was quite on that level. But like, so Brett Lee, um, tw- a bowling average of 23, took a wicket every 29 balls. Yeah, so Brett Lee and Glenn McGrath are probably on, on a similar kind of level. And, and in some ways, Boomerah is the Gr- Glenn McGrath of, um, of modern cricket because he's a defensive bowler who takes wickets, right? Um, and Brett Lee is the sort of Muhammad Shami, a little bit quicker, obviously, in his era. And then, uh, then Shami is in his, but, and not quite as skillful as Shami, but, you know, again, properly a strike bowler, um, in that kind of way. Um, so those are pretty good. And then, yeah, obviously, peak was in Wacker, um, which I don't think we ever got to see them in a World Cup together as in their peaks. Um, but they, they would be the other two. And then, of course, you would have to look at Joel Garner plus, I don't know, name your West Indian, uh, bowler, but, um, Although Joel Garner, you did say opening pair. I'm not sure if Joel Garner opened that much in ODI cricket. Uh, would be the only interesting thing there. But yeah, they had a fantastic uh, array of bowlers around him, and he was so good that he drags himself. Uh, he drags himself and whoever his partner is almost into that conversation as well. Um, Donald Pollock, absolutely outstanding. So yeah, I think this one's good. I don't know if it's better than any of those others, um, but it's certainly in the conversation. Ali says, why does PCB and BCB look far more incompetent when the BCCI also have political actors either running the show or interfering in administration? I think that BCCI, in my understanding, is that having the IMG for the um, for um, IPL actually really helped the BCCI early on understand that there were things that they weren't doing like the basic things that they needed to be able to do um, that would make things run a lot better. Uh, so I certainly think that was, I, th- I think that was a part of it. Um, to be fair though, the PSL eventually, did they have IMG as well? I think they did, but maybe not as long and maybe not as deep. Um, what else? Um, there's more money in the BCCI. So I think there's certainly a part of that. I, having dealt with, all three. I, there's really good staff that I've dealt with from all three, but having dealt with all three, I would say that the BCCI, certainly since 2012, 2010 maybe, has been. I don't. I don't think they run in the best way possible to help Indian cricket all the time. I don't think they run in the best way possible to grow the game in India, and you could have certain a lot of other things like that. But I have felt that outside of some of the major tournaments and everything else, there's certainly um, being some, um, they're, they're much more structurally sound than the PCB is. Um, I think when Wasm Khan was at the PCB, that was a little bit different. As I said, Bangladesh have had some good staff go through there, but you know the government just kind of got in the way. Um, I think we've seen 
you know, problems with the, I mean, early in this tournament, all we were talking about is outfields, location, ticket sales and all that sort of stuff. Right. And there were, there were many issues with, with the BCCI and it's, I, I would imagine that's why you would have a company like IMG helping because it's much, they organize these events all around the world in random places all the time. It's much easier for them uh, to do that than it is for a cricket board to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, I think money is probably the main difference, right? Like there, there is legitimate money in the BCCI. Um, we don't even know how rich they are, if we're being honest. Um, and, you know, Pakistan and BCB, BCB just don't have that, right? They just don't have the access to that. And that really, really matters. Um, then also the, the, the influence that Indian cricket has is so, I know that the, the, the BJP is sort of swamped into the BCCI, but even within that, it's not, Imran Khan, right? And and I do think that from my experience of working, and I haven't been in India for a while, so this might have changed, but there was a, it was like, you've got a BJP uh, politician who's important in this part of cricket, and then there's a Congress guy in this area, and this ground's run by this political party or this, you know, um, uh, this faction or whatever. I felt that that worked maybe in, in a way of, in in my um, time spent with the BCCI, it worked in a way of like, that's why I, when everyone said the BCCI is a monster, and I was like, well, it's not even one monster, right? They don't even agree with each other, so it's a far more wide um, um, system because of the way that India is. I don't know the BCB as well, although I very briefly got involved with them, and it didn't seem like it was very well run. Uh, watching Pakistan, Pakistan feels like whoever is in charge at that time is incredibly important. Um, and it just gets completely sucked in one direction, then it gets sucked in another direction. I think the BCCI has so many different important people um, involved in it that perhaps it's been stretched out a little bit more. But I do think from an administration point of view, they're not. They're, there's some things they get wrong, and there's things that all cricket boards get wrong. But I don't know if it's as messy as it can be in some of those other places. And some of that is the ability to hire professionals to come in and do some of that stuff for you. Yeah, it, I know it sounds trite, but you look at you look at Cricket Island is one of the best examples of this thing, and Cricket New Zealand's another one of just making it professional outside of the board environment. Sometimes is once you can do that, you can actually really start to achieve things. And and you know we've seen Scotland have all sorts of problems just to getting to that level, right? And when you factor in the geopolitics and the local politics and uh, you know all the things that you have in in the three countries that you've mentioned, it does get very, very tricky out, very quickly. I don't know how to say this. I'm going to say M. What percentage of people in India know who Rohit Sharma is compared to people in the UK know who Joe Root is? Always hear how cricket mad India is, but is there still a decent percentage of the population who aren't interested compared to football in England, for example? There's certainly a percentage of of, of the um, of, uh, people who aren't interested. I mean, you're never going to get 100%. I don't know what the numbers are in England cricketers at the moment, but was it Alistair Cook? He was at eight percent of uh, during his career of being recognised. I mean, the pointless is one of the best ones. The BBC show, the cricket scores are just incredibly low over and over again, right? And the football scores are four to six times higher regularly. Um, so there's a huge difference there. I mean, uh, Rohit Sharma. I don't know. Um, I would say that. The vast majority of Indians would know who Rohit Sharma is, so that would be closer to you know a fame, an England football captain at a time when they were winning. But I would say it's higher in India. Certainly, I, I think the, there are parts of India that are not as cricket mad, like 
there are parts of India where other sports are big, you know, so uh, um, obviously Kolkata was famous for that. You know, Kerala has its Olympic scene, right? Um, and East India has always been fascinating to me because obviously cricket isn't as big there. And I don't know what the population spread is in some of those places. But yeah, the va- I think the vast majority of people in India would know who Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli is. Uh, that's certainly not even close to the case in English cricket. It's not even, not even comparable. Um, I'm trying to think of another country like Temba Bavuma and Kane Williamson. They would still be tracking a lot lower, but they would be a higher percentage. And then obviously Pat Cummins would be a fairly high percentage in Australia, but I don't think it would go as high as, um, uh, I don't think it was go as high as uh, some of the others. I actually remember, <laughs> this is such a funny story, but when I worked for Qantas, we used to deal with a lot of the cricketers. Um, some weren't nice. And Adam Gilchrist was lovely. Um, but I, I do remember one time the, uh, there was a woman who worked with me and she, she was Irish and, and you know, hadn't grown up with cricket. And she was t- taking this booking and, uh, and, and she's talking to this woman over the phone. And then eventually she said to this woman, you know, your name looks familiar. And, and the woman goes, oh, yeah, my, my husband is quite famous. And this woman said, as looking at the husband's name, go, no, I don't know who he is. And the woman goes, oh, really? And, and it turned out that the, the woman I worked with had seen a wedding spread. And of course, in the wedding spread, it was all about the bride rather than the groom. And that's how she knew who this woman was. And the husband was Ricky Ponting. So, you know, you have situations, I'm sure there would be situations like that within India, right? Of, you know, Anushka's husband. And you do get those sorts of things happen as well. So it's it, none of this is straightforward. Um, I think we should do a census in every country, but they, you know, they won't allow it. Looking for a cricket game that makes you the captain, coach, selector, and I don't know, director of cricket? You can do all of that on Wicket Cricket Manager. Let you control every aspect of the game. Show off your cricket expertise as you navigate through thrilling matches. Buy, sell, and train players to build a team worthy of victory for Wicket Cricket Manager. Aditya says, is there a parallel? Parallel? Is there a parallel universe where England don't have Joffre in 2019 and have to play David Willey? Uh, do you think they still would have won in 2019? No. Because, I mean, if you come down to the final, I just don't think that David Willey is... Uh, I don't think his impact is anywhere near what Joffre's is. But, I mean, realistically, let's say they get to the final anyway. I don't know. That's very possible. And then they get to the final and David Willey swings the ball around and gets some wickets. So I suppose, yes, but no. I, I thought, because I've been covering that team for ages as they got better. And it's funny, when I first started writing about them, there were English journalists who go, wow. Um, there, there was a thought anyway that it wouldn't work. And I was like, well, it should work. Like what they're doing is actually very stable and makes sense. It doesn't look stable because it's so different to everything else. When Joffre came on, there was another thought that they were they were giving up on players who'd done very well. So by that point, everyone had kind of bought in in the, sort of the English ecosystem that this was a very good side. And I was like, you guys are kidding. You have what is 10 players who are incredibly well drilled at all their roles. And then you have, you know, perhaps one of the best top and tail ODI bowlers in the world who is just going to come in and no one is going to be able to hit him. Um, and he'll occasionally get wickets as well. And um, I, David Willey's just, I, I'm a huge fan of David Willey. He's not that. He's not Joffre. Ian says, given the age profile of the current England squad and the fact that some of the young players could choose to prioritize other formats, is it possible England go to the next ODI World Cup with none of its current squad? None of its current squad, Ian. Should have done a hot takes episode um, on that one. Um, yeah, that is a really, really interesting call because 
I suppose Harry Brook will still be around. Sam Curran will still be around. Let's say Atkinson stays with the team. Livingston could go off to T20 by that point. Um, I suppose this is a hypothetical because you know, there will be another 50 over World Cup. But yeah, I, I, this is my issue. And and I understand what, you know, the Matt Roller, Tim Wigmore thing of they've changed their DNA in their system. And I do, I agree with them 100%. But there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but I still need to see the young players coming through at the level. And as a T20 analyst, when I would see young English players come through, I'd often look at them and go, it's a bit like what happened in the West Indies, actually. So when the, the first wave of the West Indies guys came through, they were playing in a way that no one else was playing. Huge advantage to them. And then the second thing was that they were fairly rounded cricketers, right? So even Kyron Pollard had played a lot of first-class cricket. Um, or not a lot, but, you know, first-class cricket. He'd come through that system. And suddenly you were getting this, almost this entire other crop of players coming through. And it's a bit the same with England. If you think of those players, they had, they, they grew up on T20 and Pro 40 cricket. They then spent a lot of time also getting tested in the Red Bull game. Most of them played test cricket a lot, or at least played it like Owen Morgan did. Then they come to T20 cricket, uh, sorry, to T20 and ODI cricket with this new format, with this new style based on everything they've learned, and they're really good. But they're older players who are experienced. This next generation is not coming through that same way. It's a really, really interesting one, uh, Ian. And, and I do think three of those players, well, t- certainly two. I don't know if Atkinson's still going to be around. I, I think he's a good bowler, but I'd have to see a lot more. Um, I think the other two should be around, but it's, it's a very, very decent uh, question. Rudra says, has there been any World Cups that have been dominated by spinners? I feel like even the Asian World Cups have been pacer-friendly. Um, 96 would be dominated by spinners, wouldn't it? I, I'd have to go through Rudra and have a look at the numbers. But, I mean, Sri Lanka won that tournament with, what would you say, um, two, one, two frontline spinners. Damasena is kind of an all-rounder, but I suppose he's still a frontline spinner. Sanath, who was a fifth spinner. Aravinda, who was a, you know, fifth and sixth spinner. Um, I'd have to go back through all the other wickets and everything else. Um, can't think if there's many others, though. I think I, 87, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. 2011, I thought, was another tournament that if you had a, you know, decent, like a Yuvraj level option um, at that World Cup, you were in a much better position. Um I can't remember what the frontline spinners did as much, but yeah, no, 2011 is certainly something. Uh, I, I I think there's something there, but it's I think new balls dominate World Cups, and World Cups tend to be more bowling friendly friendly than bilaterals. So what you're probably seeing is that the new ball bowlers do better and the spinners do better in some World Cups, um, and that overall impact you're probably going to notice the new ball bowlers more if they're taking wickets up top. Oh my god. Josh says, I feel like it's inevitable that New Zealand will play mightily uh, in the semi-final before losing to the big three uh, home team in the final. But could this team of time travellers avenge New Zealand's losses and win all three World Cup finals in a row? Guftal 15, Conway 23, Williamson 19, Ravindra 23, Mitchell 23, McCullum 15, Phillips 23. Oh, you still got Phillips in there. Nisham. Okay, so what am we missing here? Uh, so you've got Bolt, Ferguson, Santner. Now you've got no bowling. I reckon you've done this before, Josh. I think you always go light, light on bowling. No, I don't think this team would win that much. Um, because you've got F- Santner at nine. 
So then you've got Nisham, Phillips, Mitchell, Ravindra to bowl 20 overs. Now, that team would not win. Uh, if if you had, because if you have a Vittori, you don't need Santner, though. No, I don't think that team would, would win the others. But it's a fascinating uh, look to go back. All right. Scott says, uh, what do you think of Logan Van Beek's opening open performance this so far? Quietly has the fourth most runs for New Zealand and the third uh, for New Zealand, Netherlands, and the third most wickets despite missing a game, and has a proper measured batting performance against Sri Lanka while showing in other games he can still hit the ball around. I haven't sent this to the Netherlands, but I think they should open the batting with him, Scott. So I think that tells you uh, basically they're opening that they're, they're bat uh, <laughs> both are openers are not in form. And I still think they're both good players, but it's just not working. And I and I was thinking, what is the point of Logan coming in at number eight? Um, and having to chip it around a little bit at the end and not, not even getting the most of it. He may not be able to face a new ball. I, 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 up until recently, up until the Netherlands game, as the West Indies game, not sure he actually had a good record in batting. He made one first class hundred, so he's not a dud, but I think he averaged 22 or 21. So again, not a star in any way, shape or form at that point. Um, and it's not a perfect way of explaining it, but I kind of think that if he opened, um, it would stretch their batting lineup out a little bit more. And then hopefully three, four, five, six would would play a bigger role, um, is the way that I was thinking. But it's a bit revolutionary. It's a little bit Andy McBride, except that obviously Logan will go harder. Look, I think it's been fantastic. Um, I think if I'm suggesting he should open for them, that kind of tells you. I think he's he's one of those bowlers that would be best as probably your second best opening bowler or your first change bowler. And in this World Cup, he has to be their main opening bowler and their main death bowler because of the way they're using Van Meekren and because uh, Baz Delita obviously has to be the secondary player. And he's still been fantastic. I, I love the way he thinks about the game. He's a very smart cricketer. Um, obviously incredibly skillful. He's played in lots of different places, not, you know, with the Netherlands, but he's also played county cricket. He's played, you know, top-level cricket in the Netherlands. Uh, he's played... Um, uh, domestic cricket in New Zealand. Uh, he played for New Zealand A, I think, I want to say, when he was younger as well. But there's a lot to like about him as a cricketer, I think. And he's when I look at him, he doesn't have he doesn't have a lot of elite skills. But I think he has the ability to read a situation better than other players. Um, and he's very fearless, I think, as a player. And I think those things all sort of come together, um, you know, that... Uh, no, I really enjoy watching him as a cricketer. I really do. Um, no, he's been great. No notes. Rucha says, how would you evaluate the Indian bowling attack from 2014 T20 World Cup? I don't know, man. <laughs> T24? Oh, in Bangladesh. I wasn't even there. Um, I remember Amit Mishra being amazing in that tournament. Should India possess more with him in T20s and ODIs? Ah, look, he's a really good wicket-taker and was for a long period. I don't remember that uh, 2014 um Indians. You've got to remember, Rudra, that when you're asking a question like that, it's better if you give me the bowling attack rather than try and get me to remember it because um, there's 12 teams. And I and also, there was a World Cup in 2012, 2014, 2016. So there's a lot of World Cups in a small period of time, and that happened to be the only one I didn't go to. Otherwise, I probably would have more thoughts on it. Um, no, I, I always thought Amit Mishra was really good. I think he was a flawed bowler in some ways. Um, but his strengths were so strong that he could kind of overcome them. Um, I'd have to go back through the numbers to know if India should have used him more or anything else. But um, 
I always thought he was a really good bowler. Um, you know, I, I like the fact he's still kind of hanging around, right, in the IPL. Hamster says, how many variations does an off-spinner need to succeed in ODIs and T20s? And what variations should they be? Follow-up. If an off-spinner had accuracy and could change his pace, does he need variation? Yes, Hamster. And the reason, the uh, where should I start? It is much better if you can spin the ball in both directions. And this comes back to why someone needs variation. So I don't know if you've, if you've ever played club cricket and you've attacked spinners, you'll understand that if someone is spinning the ball, ball if I'm facing an off spinner, I essentially know that the ball's either going to be outside my eye line, um, and if that's the case, I can play the reverse sweep, and if they're short, I can play the cut, um, and maybe cover drive. So I've got three options there to an off spinner. If if they then um, come onto the pads, I can then sweep that or just you know go down the ground if I, if I want to. So I've got about five different shot options available for me facing an off spinner at any one time. When I face a leg spinner who has a wrong end, I have all the same shot options, right? It's slightly different because they're spinning the other direction. But I have to now factor in that when that ball lands just outside off stump, if I can't pick it out of the hand, um, I'm I'm going to have I, I'm might be hitting it the wrong shot, playing the wrong shot. So that firstly, with the off spin, I have no such worry about that. It's either going straight or it's coming back in, right? And I can make all those decisions. With leg spin, it can be coming in or it can be going away. So when I am lining up a leg spinner, I have to line them up very, very differently if they have a wrong end. Now, even if they have a wrong end that I can pick, right, that's still in my mind, I've got my shots ready for the ball spinning away from the bat, and now it's spinning back in. So if you look at Dikshana or Mujib, their their, um, carom balls, got the wrong fingers up there, don't I? Those fingers. Their carom balls have these big, Fingers up. I should be able to pick that if I'm a top-level batter. But the last two balls they've bowled have spun back into me. So now I'm making that decision much later, which means there's a, you know, a little bit of uh, apprehension, a little bit of me having to change on the fly. If I just know that an off-spinner is spinning it in one direction, they can change the pace, they can change the flight, they can change everything else. But I've got my shots, and my shots are not going to change. If I'm facing a spinner who can spin it both directions, I've got my shots for the ball spinning in, and now I've got to think of a whole different uh, level of shots for the ball spinning away. That's where you think that you could still have a great off spinner who is good. Um, you know, there are many other ways that off spinners can be good. And but the reason we don't see as many specialist off spinners in top level T20 cricket is because they don't get wickets. And then on top of that, it's everything that I've just spoken about. So it's why now many of the best off spinners do other things, or they have something within their main delivery, like a. Uh, Chris Green. God, I was going to get that wrong again, wasn't I? I was going to go Rizwan Nawaz on me again. But if you've got something that's like, you know, a low skiddy action or, you know, something else, then 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 you have that ability. But again, the the vast majority, it just takes away a lot of the de- decision making, right? I can be really, really clear. So as I said, if I'm facing an off spinner and he bowls outside off stump, I've got my three shots depending on what length I get. And if it comes straight, I've got my two shots that I'm going to go to. If he then has a ball that spins the other way from me, I'm then going to think about which shots I'm going to play and how I'm going to play them, right? And and that's if I pick it, right? And then after all that, the, the other thing is, let's say I do pick it out of the hand, but I've been playing the ball coming back in and this one goes away. I then also then have to factor in um, that the uh, I have to play the ball 
right? So the ball might still be a good ball. All those things matter. Swami Nathan says, can you see Rohit, Shami, Virat last until the next World Cup? Will they retire a hero or play long enough to become villains? That's very Batman of you. Um, like the current English cricketers. Um, well, they might not do that anyway. There might be a refresh. I wouldn't think Rohit would be playing in the next World Cup. Uh, if I was Shami, I'd want to come back and sit on the bench and then come in and destroy. Virat's an interesting one. I mean, I thought that A.B. de Villiers got to a point in his career where he was happy enough to play for another five or six years where I thought he could continue to start, and he just retired. Um, and uh, I do think... Um, uh, yeah, so I do think that there has been a change. Um, not a change, sorry. I do think that it's very hard to read those sorts of plays. One of the few players I, I got right was, was kind of Alistair Cook, where I kind of thought if he wasn't captain his career would kind of, you know, he would kind of leave and he would leave. And in the end, he did leave early. Very rarely do you get, it's very hard to tell with certain players. And and also motivation changes and why you want to do things. And there's financial, then there's uh, how your role in the team and all that sort of stuff. How much strain it puts on their body. They're going to make a lot more money, all three of those guys in the IPL, right? Um, they might be thinking that to, the amount of pressure they'll need to put on their body might actually take away their ability to play in the IPL. But I, the villain thing, uh, I mean, England was an old team altogether and they came back. Um, that might not be how the Indian team actually progresses anyway because there's already much younger blood coming through, right? James says, many times when an unsavory incident occurs, there's a lot of commentary and sometimes formal disciplinary action, supposing that the people responsible have brought the game into disrepute. In my experience, it is rare that this is supposed disrepute is ever actually substantiated. E.g., uh, falling ticket and merchandise sales, TV ratings, loss of sponsorship money, etc. Are you aware of any incidents in cricket that are actually known to have this effect? Um, no. There's a really interesting moment about this, James, which is Quite a few years ago, when Marlon Samuels and Shane Warne had their fight in the Big Bash, and James Sutherland said the quiet bit loud, where he basically said, oh, no, this is great. You know, so many more people are talking about the Big Bash now. There is a part of that. But they also do have to actually discipline people because you can't have a Wild West, right? So I think that, you know, and this was an overreaction, of course, and, and it led to a lot of lives being ruined. But if you look at the NBA, the NBA was at a point where it was a sport largely played by black athletes, largely watched by white fans. Um, and there was a disconnect in the fact that all the players were, um, there was a lot of cocaine and everyone was talking about the cocaine in basketball, what, late 70s to early 80s, whatever that was. And so I do think at that point, um, it probably was affecting the brand. And you can go in with match fixing at times has probably affected the brand in cricket. Um, you know, obviously everything that went on in cycling affected the brand. And I know that's slightly different to what you're talking about. But if things are unregulated, right, um, if people start to fight on the field and, and everything, and and uh, those things do actually um, do. And there is one sport I could think of, actually, which is Aussie Rules football. And you could probably put English football in this as well, which realized that, and this is a lot to do with the, play on the field with Aussie Rules football and more to do with the fans off it in, in football, but realized that it couldn't keep going the way it was going uh, because it was getting a bad reputation and was getting bad press. 
and they were worried about it. So if you look at Aussie rules football, um, they realized that the fighting on the field was actually causing people at lower levels not to want to play as much through their parents as much as anything. And we've seen this with American football as well. So those things do matter, right? And how you curate your sport and how you, you know, um, you push it and promote it and, and look after it does matter. But generally, people kind of like the sport or they don't. And, and so it's the ice hockey one is probably the best example, of course, of, you know, the fighting. It's now part of the sport. If you took the fighting out of ice hockey, you might have an issue in the other way. But you still have to regulate the fighting, right? You can't just have people go around doing things, right? And so it's, it's the same with, like, there's no send-off, right? So Mitchell Stark swearing it. God, who was it? The Indian batter who made the triple hundred. Karen Nair? Mitchell starts slagging fuck off in his face, right? You can't, you can't not um, give him a fine because you don't want every player in the world to start doing that. But at the same time, it probably, well, that one didn't actually get much news, but the other ones that have got more news, they actually help promote your sport a little bit. So it is a weird situation that sports find themselves in, which is why, you know, um, sport is not particularly good at self-regulating because they kind of want the chaos and the anarchy and the anger and, the, you know. Uh, player of the match awards in cricket do not need to exist. I've said this a million times. Why are they there? People will argue about them for ages. They actually can help pro propel the argument, um, the, the discussion and everything else. You could make the same um, thing with um, umpiring decisions, DRS and, and Hawkeye and all these new things that are coming into all these sports around the world. Anyway, James, thank you very much. Uh, let's take a break. I don't think I've taken a break. I'm just on a roll. So many, I mean, I'm just, my, my life is in front of this at the moment. Um, uh, let's take a break and I'll go through the chat to see if there's anything there. Obviously, if you're desperate to have your question um, answered, do the super chat. Uh, if not, just a normal question will suffice and I'll get to it if I can. Jared Kimber, Wagon Wheel, listen. All right, welcome back to Wagon Wheel. I remain Jared Kimber, and we've got a few questions in the chat. And let's have a look here. Um, and then we'll see how we go. Uh, if any, As I said, I've started everything I'm going to do, but if you want to put a super chat in late, feel free to. Amwesh says, a team of wasted, underperforming talents versus a team of limited players who make the most out of it. Who wins? Can you name some players that come straight to mind from both categories? I mean, the first one is, it depends what you mean. Like, like I might have been a player who got the most out of my talent, right? But if I'm going up against, um, I'm trying to think of someone, you know, if I'm going up against Rahat Ali, I'm not going to do very well because Rahat Ali can bowl 85 miles an hour left arm and I probably wouldn't see the ball, right? So that's a very hard one to um, answer. Um, uh, uh, players who make the most of limited skill, Paul Collingwood's one I always like to use. Um, uh, Aster, uh, Faf Duplessis, I think, is another one. Who, um, maybe because of his physique, we don't look at him that way, but I think he's someone who's definitely maximized his talent. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone else off the top of my head. Heath Streak was another one who I thought in some ways was uh, a kind of a limited player who just kept pulling, you know, doing everything he could to get the most out of himself. Um, players who haven't got the most out of themselves, kind of anyone who can bowl 90 miles an hour, who when they've slowed down a little bit, no longer um, can do very well. Left arm bowlers in general, left arm finger spinners and left arm pace bowlers as a general rule. 
um, don't get the most out of their talent. And there's obviously reasons for that. Um, Adrian Barath might be another one. Kilroy says, I'm new to cricket, so bear with me. Let's do it. Why, uh, why is it the QDK goes for massive runs one game and then gets out immediately in the next one? Is that just how cricket goes or is it way he bats? That is how cricket goes. Um, every player in, I, so essentially Kilroy, I suppose the best way of putting it is it is incredibly hard to, to start an innings. Um, you, you have to work out, you know, what the bowler is doing. Obviously, you have to work out what the pitch is doing. Um, maybe the conditions in certain cases. Um, picking the ball up when you first go out there. Um, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, Kilroy, but it's very different to baseball because the ball can come at you on the full. It can come at you on the bounce. The surface will play a, a massive part. Um, so what we found in cricket, and this doesn't quite convert to one day in T20 cricket as much, but what we found in cricket in general is they, it takes about five runs for a batter to feel like they are settled. And from that point, you start to see it even out a lot more after that. But up until those five runs, um, and especially if you don't get a boundary to get to those five runs, um, it can be a real struggle for a lot of players to start again. Um, you know, the different kinds of bowlers that we have, the different kinds of conditions um, and everything else, they all play a part and you kind of have to reset yourself. Um, and so... Getting this is why it's always funny when someone says, you know, this batter is not consistent, and most batters are not consistent. We we would say in cricket, which is actually very similar to I think uh, a few other sports like it, but I, it's about you're going to be successful about thirty percent of the time, thirty three percent of the time. So you're going to fail the, the rest of the time. And a lot of those failures are going to be for under five runs, right? In one day in T Twenty cricket, it might be slightly more than that in some cases, just because you're scoring quicker anyway. But let's say it's under twenty balls. So that first 20 ball period where you are essentially starting again from scratch. And if you ever play cricket, Kilroy, what you'll find is that, so I played two games, three games recently, all at the same venue. One was on the main ground, one was on the background, and one was on a secondary ground they don't use that much. And on the main ground, I smashed the ball everywhere, went to the, the other ground and I was like, oh, I'll be able to continue this. And the pitch wasn't the same and I hit one straight up in the air. And then when I got to the last game, I somehow managed to lose my confidence from two games earlier on this new surface, um, despite the fact that I should have been absolutely fine. And I got out really, really early. <clears throat> and that it's that little period which is really, really tricky. It's why you see batters quite often push the ball into gaps and just take off early. Um, or Luke Ronke was one of the most famous ones, a New Zealand player who <laughs> just basically try and hit the first ball and the second ball for four just so he didn't feel uncomfortable. And there are some players who are legendary bad starters. Um, Sean Marsh, I think, is one of, uh, you know, for the Australian player, which is absolutely incredible, at, especially in test cricket, at just not being able to... He, he was fine once he faced about 15 balls. Um, and w once he did, suddenly you'd start thinking, well, he's probably going to make runs today. But those first 15 balls were torturous. Um, so it is a very... It's, it's a tricky thing to start. Subrat says, what do you think about the current status of T20 cricket? With all the associates getting T20 status, international status, I think he means, a 20-team World Cup in 2024, Netherlands performance, do you think associate cricket is on the rise? I mean, associate cricket is massively on the rise. I do think allowing them to all say they play T20 internationals was huge because no government or cricket board or whatever wants to invest money in a list A game, right? It just, it didn't work. First-class cricket and list A cricket weren't working. So T20 internationals, 
help players. It really helped women's cricket as well. But it helped right across the associate world. We should do it for test cricket. We should do it for ODI cricket. We can have divisions. We can have it. It can be like a normal sport. Um, and we can do it that way. But no, that's definitely the best way of doing it. I think it has helped. And yes, associate cricket, certainly the strongest since I've been covering cricket. Women's cricket, also the strongest um, since I've been covering cricket. And and some of those things can be tracked back. To, there are plenty of other changes as well. I mean, I said that there were, I'm trying to remember now. So West Indies didn't qualify. Zimbabwe didn't qualify. Um, Ireland didn't qualify. Scotland didn't qualify. I thought UAE were okay too. Was it that tournament that I thought they were okay? Um, so there were 14 teams that I thought were pretty strong. Right. And would have, you know, been a chance to win games at this World Cup. Um, certainly 15 teams, maybe, um, uh, in that area. And that's for the one day tournament. So yeah, we, it, I, I don't think, I, I, I don't think associate cricket's anywhere, ever been anywhere near as strong as this. But I think, you know, cricket in general has got stronger and the professionalism of the game and all, all those sorts of things. They all help. Uh, Bubba says, I'd asked a question regarding Bubba batting. You previously ignored it. Okay. You ask a lot of questions, Papa, and I answer as many as I can. I am but one man waiting for my cauliflower cheese to cook. I feel I feel him getting out mid-wicket against spin has something to do with his core. He does not have strong thighs. Now, there might be a reason I uh, didn't talk about this question, Bubba fan. It could be that I don't have a core measurement. How do you want me to know if he's got a strong core or not? I'm going to go up and punch him? <laughs> I don't know. Strong core is very important in cricket. Um, certainly going back to Dennis Waite when he was involved with the West Indies team. Uh, I know there was a bunch of players, West Indian players like Chris Gale, who got into top it, uh, top level um, strength. And they were literally, uh, Carlos Brathwaite might have been another one. And they, were, and they really struggled and literally were told, make your core the strongest part of your body um, and everything else will follow. So it is very, very, very important uh, in batting. Um, so yes. Um, but I have no way of measuring Baba Azam's core. Um, I don't wouldn't even know how to measure a like like if you want me to have a look at someone's fitness, I could probably make some guesses. Um I don't know how to make a call on someone's core. And I certainly, and I, I want to be very clear on this, I have no opinion on Baba Azam's thighs. I probably do, but I can't think of one. Amon says, uh, do you think a new batting technique could be developed? I'm not sure exactly what you mean about that, but we've probably just had a huge change in batting techniques, haven't we? Like people used to bat in their crease and now they either stand out of their crease or they walk down the wicket. So we just had a huge change when the wobble ball came about. And then before that, we had the scoops. So, I mean, we're not going to, we've got right hand and left hand. Um, no, I mean, batting will change. It will continue to change uh, as the game does, right? Um, someone was saying to me the other day that they, you know, start, they were asking when cover drive started the batters started having their knee down and it's very late i think it's probably maybe you start to see it a little bit in the 70s but certainly 80s into the 90s is when it comes in so the cover drive had been around for 200 years by that point and yet still it was being changed so if you look at batting so we used to get really forward with the forward defense with our elbow up in the air no one really gets forward when they're uh, facing a pace bowler anymore the balls are just too quick right um we used to have the sweep shot and or we had a slog. Now we have the slog sweep. So things are changing all the time. So that will continue to develop. 
Uh, he also says, why is the Red Bull not using the limited uh, internationals? It's because at night, uh, it is almost impossible to see because the shadow and the ball sort of all come together and batters were getting hit. Doesn't work. Henry says, imagine a genuinely 95-hour fastballer with a serious outswing, a good inswing, and the wobble ball, but they were crap at bowling short. Uh, maybe they're like five foot five. Well, five foot five can help because it skids up. Amy. How good would they be? Uh, well, Vernon Philander was pretty good, and he couldn't bowl short, right? Um, the thing with bowling short, with bowling short, and not being able to bowl short, is it just limits your options. That's why. That's the old argument I always had between Ryan Harrison and Vernon Philander. Vernon Philander was probably even, well, certainly more skilled than Ryan Harris, but Ryan Harris wasn't far away. But on pitches when it was slap, Ryan Harris could just bounce you or just go back of a length and just do something different, right? And so you want more options in test uh, wickets when you have that. But if you're 90 miles an hour, which is probably more fast medium now than fast in international cricket, you, you can swing it both ways uh, and you have the wobble ball. You'll with those that that I can't think of a bowler who can bowl at that pace with all those skills. So they would be an exceptional bowler. And then if you if that's the case, they would have a very low bowling average. And you do what they did with Flander. Make sure you've got a bunch of other guys around him who can bowl the short ball. Right. What you don't want to have is a whole bunch of guys who have similar skill sets. Right. Um, because the bowler you're describing here is um, is a new ball bowler because. 90 mile an hour, inswing, outswing, those are, uh, well, not 90 mile an hour, but the other ones are all new ball um, skills. The 90 miles an hour should mean that they should be a threat later on in the innings uh, without any problems there. But um, if they can't go to the short ball with 90 miles an hour, um, then they're a little, little bit limited, but they can still bowl back of a length, right? They can still try other things. So they, they, sh they should be a fantastic bowler. M multiple skills generally work. What do you think of Wakala Yunus's suggestion of using two new balls for the 25th overs and then sticking to one ball for the rest to exploit reverse swing? Um, so you've got 12 overs. No, because I don't think that I don't think white balls can last 30 overs. I think 35, you're asking for too much, and 37. Also, this isn't the only reason we don't have reverse swing. It's really important to know that in test cricket, we don't have as much reverse swing anymore. So I know there's a lot of 90s kids, especially, who are desperate to go back to those days and absolutely love them. And don't get me wrong, you know, Waka was was the, the king of this. But there is. Th let me go through all the different reasons why there isn't as much reverse swing. Team saw what happened to Australia, and so they don't tamper with the ball as much anymore. Camera crews around the world are trying to catch teams tampering with the ball um, a lot more. The wobble ball, you need the ball in a completely different state. So teams don't work on the ball in the same way that they used to. Um, the saliva ban, uh, there are some people who tell me this hasn't affected it, and some people who tell me this has. Um, that's another part of it. The other thing is that the, the one of the reasons it's harder to tamper with the ball, or no, not, and not just tamper, but change the ball so it's ready for reverse swing, is you have to keep giving it back to the umpire. And so if the umpire gets it back and it's got big scratches in it, they're probably going to go, oh, the ball's damaged. We're going to replace this now. So the two white balls actually works in a couple of ways at restricting reverse swing. Um, the bowling averages, uh, so the, the amount of runs scored in ODI cricket went down in the, in the last couple of years when Kookaburra did the ball. Why doesn't anyone say that? that? Why is there any, no one talking about that? It's much harder to score at the top of the innings now than it used to be. 
with those two new goals. I haven't seen as much in this World Cup, but we've seen a lot of wickets in this World Cup. Am I missing something? Um, I, I would say this has been a World Cup where the bowls have done quite well, and people seem to keep thinking that that is not the case. I, I think, I think we've only got like four teams in this World Cup that you would say that you at the moment you would suggest that can score three hundred, right? Maybe Pakistan is the fifth, right? So it's not exactly like batting is dominating everything. And the bowlers now dominate in a different way. Spinners do much better with the two new balls. So that is something that if I was a spinner, I'm not sure I'd want the quicks to get a reverse swing ball. Um, so yeah, it, it's brought up a lot, but I don't know. The game evolves. I think it was evolving beyond reverse swing beforehand. It's never going to be the game that it used to be. Again, right? It will just keep changing and keep changing. Um uh, I would rather they actually spent money on fixing the white ball and or finding an alternative or improving the pink ball and doing it that way. Uh, because I do think there is something... I, I like the natural degradation of the ball. And not that these new, ball, new balls are not doing that, but I like the idea of, of that um, happening over the course of a game. And that's a problem with all white balls because they didn't even degrade before. They just fucking fell apart. Um, and that's pretty poor. All right, that's me. I think that is it for today. Um, big thanks to everyone who was in the live chat and uh, certainly to everyone who commented and did everything else. I uh, thank you to everyone. We'll be back uh, tomorrow on the YouTube channel. And then we've got, our, uh, uh, we've got a bunch of cool podcasts. We've got the final part of our Double Century series coming up as well, which is two episodes on the 96 World Cup two episodes on the 99 World Cup as well. Uh, but thank you so much for everyone, for your support, for your comments, for your liking. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. Um, and a uh, uh, huge thanks to everyone who works behind the scenes as well, to Nick and Ishit and AJ and Rakesh, um, who all help out on, on this channel specifically um, as much as anything. Uh, but that's it for me for now. And I'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapaya and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Do you make content but don't want to listen to yourself talk? Well, I get that. Memento FM's AI does all the listening for you. It picks out the highlights and it makes you sound far more amazing than you really are. Embrace Memento FM today.